this is your first time back in the new year. If you're visiting with us this morning, we've been taking a closer look at the Decalogue for those 10 words that we find in Exodus chapter 20. Maybe words that you have memorized over the years or at least heard read uh, or you've seen them uh, hanging up somewhere or against a wall somewhere in a courtroom or something like that. Um, even, uh, even if you haven't spent a lot of time in the church, you're likely familiar with, or you have some impression of the Ten Commandments. And we've been reminded of the, the last few months of the last year before we came into the Advent season that give, God gives us these commands not because you know, He's on some sort of power trip uh, or He wants to make us miserable, sometimes we think of them that way, but because our God is gracious. He loves us and wants us to know what it is He loves and how we then can love Him and love our neighbors uh, in return. So if I said nothing else this morning, that, that should leave us absolutely awestruck. That our God would give us His heart through these commands. Um, which is He summarized in the New Testament. Love for God and a love for neighbor. So our last stop in verse 13 of Exodus 20 reminds us of the great value that God places on life, on, on human life in particular. Um, and this morning we turn our attention to God's design for purity. Purity among husbands and wives. Purity among all people. Uh, so again, I want to start with the preamble of Exodus 20. We'll read through uh, verse 14 this morning. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery. This is God's holy word, a word that endures forever. Let's pray together. Lord God, we do thank you for this word that you have given to us, that you would show us your heart through this word, what it is that you love and value, that we might be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, as you have called your people to be of old. Lord, no less do you call us to purity. We pray now that you would help us as we process through this word can be often challenging, touching cords in different places for us. Lord, we pray 
that you would help us. We need your spirit now to hear, to apply. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I could see as I stood across from my aunt, her eyes started to glisten as I shared with her that I had been praying for her and my uncle. Uh, I worked for my uncle growing up in the lawn care business, and my uncle's brother um, spent most of the time in, in the shop working on the different equipment as well as the apartments. The business had some apartments that they owned, and as they acquired more apartments, uh, his brother spent more time uh, at these uh, apartments doing maintenance and so forth. And a few months earlier, after I had the chance to meet with my aunt and uncle, uh, the first lawsuit came against this, this brother in the business for um, impropriety, sexual harassment uh, at these uh, apartments. It was just devastating for the family, a close family. They'd been working together for decades. Uh, and I could just see in her eyes, where do we go with this? What do we do? You know, something we would never have imagined, and now it is, it's come so close um, to have this sexual brokenness, abuse, um, just touch the family in that way. And I wish I could say it's rare, that this, it's a rare incident among families. Uh, it's just not the case. Um, and many of you can attest to this in your own life, so li- the life-altering pain that goes with it. Married couples breaking wedding vows uh, through adultery, unmarried uh, men and, and women living in fornicate. That's just a common thing for us now. Uh, and sadly, it's not much different in the church as it is outside of the church. Um, so those, those who profess to follow Jesus struggle immensely with sin against the body. And again, I, I don't stand outside of this. I stand in this, among them, among you. You shall not commit adultery. It's a sweeping command for purity among married couples, boys and girls, single men, single women. We've been made by God as sexual creatures. The desire for this this fulfillment and enjoyment, he's, He's told us the only place uh, where that life-giving fulfillment and worship is to be found uh, in marriage. Uh, again, the Bible isn't squeamish about this in any way, but the goodness and the pleasure and the joy of sexual intimacy. Uh, God designed it. He's all for it in its proper context. So this command tells us a lot about ourselves. Remember those three questions that we are looking at for each of these commands. Why do we need this? And then how do we see the Lord Jesus fulfilling this and where do we go? How do we obey this word? So this command tells us a lot about ourselves. By the time the people of Israel are encamped here around Mount Sinai, we have a plethora of examples of where the physical intimacy designed by God has been twisted, abused, I'll give you just a few of them. Remember the the abuse of Jacob's daughter, Dinah. This is in Genesis 34. The the misconduct, abuse between Judah and his daughter-in-law, Tamar, in Genesis 38. How about Potiphar's wife? Remember Joseph and Potiphar's wife in Genesis 39? Um, The men of Sodom and Gomorrah. Back to Genesis 19. Immorality was a big 
problem. And we, we read all of these unlawful relations in Leviticus 18 and 20. I mean, that only goes to show how quickly humanity has distorted what God has made so very good. In Deuteronomy 22 says, If a man or woman is caught in adultery, they're to be put to death in order to purge the evil from among you, it says in that word. So this is an area of conduct that was supposed to separate God's people from the surrounding nations, surrounding peoples. The most basic regulation being uh, purity uh, within marriage. Why is this? We um, think of how profound, the profound power that intimacy, that physical union represents. I mean, this is the one flesh relationship that God has established between husband and wife in Genesis 2.24. And it's a comprehensive one fleshness. It's intellectual, emotional, physical oneness that's intended to just grow deeper as that relationship continues. So by its very nature then, this level of intimacy and communion demands a promise, demands a lifelong commitment. See, those who have made promises to be bound to one another without any reserve, and they've taken the time to really think about that and what that means, essentially they have no choice when they hit the rocks and need to work through struggles. Committed to healing for uh, the long term. So marriage is a context for this, for this level of love and intimacy. Children may come along, they often do, but not always. Uh, it's actually secondary to the, the wholeness and companionship of the marriage relationship. So I know what you're thinking at this point. Okay, thanks Brad, thanks for that ideal picture. Let's, let's go ahead and come back down to planet Earth, where we live right now. Uh, if that's what you're thinking a little bit, then I'm tracking with you, or you're tracking with me. Uh, because marriages don't always look like this. They don't always thrive and grow deeper. And, and sexual misconduct or abuse is just one of the reasons, though a very significant one, why so many folks will never pursue marriage or they'll, they'll break off their marriage covenant. That's happening all the time. I wish I had more time to go, to go through this in the talking about the pains of divorce, even if it feels like a relief at the time. It's, there's pain. The, the circumstances in which divorce uh, may or may not be sanctioned. But we're going we're to move in a slightly different uh, direction this morning. Uh, but I need to say this, when reflecting on this command. Uh, adultery and divorce are often joined right at the hip. Uh, they don't have to be in God's mercy, uh, but they often are. Adultery... Uh, leading to divorce and divorce divorce to adultery when another marriage is pursued but the, the marriage that's been broken off has not uh, been done so uh, according to God's word um, it's real so some of you have experienced this you know just the long journey of repentance and forgiveness recommitment uh, that goes with that. So as brothers and sisters, let's, let's remember that we need to come alongside, you know, this is that koinonia we talked about last week, coming alongside with gentleness, compassion to those in marital discord, uh, 
or we see where there has been a broken covenant, we need to come alongside them during those times. So divorce is a painful result, but we certainly can't be ignorant of how sexualized our culture has become. And we must be in prayer that the Lord would, would guard our eyes, guard our hearts, uh, hearts of His people, specifically children. You know, our children are being targeted, uh, exposed to images and this underlying story that not only expects but celebrates physical intimacy outside of God's design. Um, you know, sex is treated just like another drug. You get high, you enjoy the temporary you know, pleasure to avoid the struggles of real life, of real relationships. And that's being peddled to our children just at, at a younger and younger age. I saw an advertisement, Abercrombie and Finch was uh, offering a padded bikini to eight-year-olds. Um, and more and more of these, these magazines, these publications, you don't have to search for this stuff, I don't recommend you do that, but uh, you know, they're offering... You know, to, to young teens, particularly uh, young girls, that when they come of age, they'll have a place to pose. This, this, is, this is abuse that's celebrated uh, in our day. And it's shaping the way that our children are thinking about themselves, the way they're thinking about others uh, and how to relate to them. So we, we live in just this cesspool of confusion and sexuality. Satan loves it, doesn't he? He absolutely loves it because he knows the power that this has. To pursue sexual intimacy outside of God's design, it's going to lead to frustration and pain. We see this happen to a greater degree as we displace God with ourselves, our own individual individuality, our own autonomy. It's all about me. It's all about my desires, all about my fulfillment what I think is best for me. And so the judgment of God will be exactly what the lust of our hearts is content with. And that's really where it begins. Where God is most concerned. Everything that's flowing from the heart. Adultery, every form of sexual immorality, that's, that's where it begins. And Listen to how Jesus ramps this up in Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. So Jesus is using that word picture here. But it drives home the point. Pretty serious. Sin is serious. Sexual sin is serious. Impurity before God is, well, much more than just what we do with our external organs. God calls us to purity of mind, purity of heart that fights against the lusts of the flesh, however natural they may feel at the time. You know, we know that one, one person can lust after another. It got me thinking a little bit. Can, can spouses lust after each other? Can adultery in a, in a figurative sense then take place within the marriage covenant? The answer is yes, it can. Lust is all, all about pleasing the me. 
you know, satisfying these uncontrolled cravings that either uses someone or uses something else to satisfy our own desires. That can happen, even within the marriage covenant. The physical intimacy between husband and wife is to be other-centered, selflessly pleasing one spouse. And if that's the desire of both husband and wife, then it becomes mutually exciting and pleasing. But the lust in our hearts, it looks, it looks out for number one and is easily deceived. We start to believe this lie that sexual fulfillment outside of marriage is, is best or somehow more rewarding. That chastity for those not married is, is a chain that keeps us from real freedom or really living. And to our, to our sin-scarred hearts, that forbidden fruit is all the sweeter. Think of Eve in Genesis chapter 3, just salivating. It looked good. It would make her wise. Then she bought into it, hook, line, and sinker, and took just one bite. And all the promises that she believed were, were broken. Promiscuity outside of marriage in any form. Adultery within marriage. Because it's built on that individual pleasure, lack of commitment, it will make promises that cannot be kept. So then we really need this next question. Right? Can anyone keep this word? How do we wrestle with the lust in our hearts? We must look to our Savior. He is the one who fulfills this command for us. Jesus is the only one who has lived in perfect purity. Now remember, Jesus is God in the flesh, God incarnate. He's a very specific Savior, which means He's lived in perfect sexual purity for all those who are bound to Him in faith. We've been washed in the pure waters of baptism, robed in the purity, the righteousness of Jesus. Okay, so we know there will be struggle. There will be pain, there will be hurt, but our hope is in the perfection of Jesus. Not in our own hearts or in our own willpower, but in His obedience and purity on our behalf. See, Jesus was tempted in every way that you are tempted. He knows and He loves us in our temptation. He gives us wisdom. He helps us to, uh, to, to resist in temptation. He gives us his pure word, the sword of the Spirit, to do battle against the barrage of sexual counterfeits that we're faced with. He gives us the church, brothers and sisters, to come alongside, counsel us, guide us along the way. So when you and I submit, our, submit to the rule of Christ in our lives, open our hearts to the work of the Spirit, and enables us to delight more and more in His good design. as battered and distorted as our views can be, our experiences may be, the Spirit of Christ has the power to heal, power to restore. So we think of Jesus as the only pure one. So it's in Him we begin to see, we're seeing it just dimly now, but we begin to see the passion of God's love for us. We have, we have been made to be naked. I can just see somebody splicing that right out of the sermon. Um, we have been made to be naked. 
Now don't get rid of your clothes or go join some commune that's doing just that. Um, that. That would actually have the opposite effect, right? That would create shame and fear and embarrassment, which is the result of opening our eyes to nakedness, Genesis chapter 3, in a world that's stained by sin. So the fig leaves, the animal skins, and now the clothes are a grace of God to cover our shame. But we've been made for a shameless nakedness before God. The church is his lover, his bride. Through the Lord Jesus, he is jealous for her. So our relationship to God, it brings meaning the relationship we have with our God forever brings meaning and purpose to marriage now. Sexual intimacy within marriage is a celebration of that eyes-open, shame-free nakedness that our hearts actually long for. Sex, according to God's design, directs us to the greater love of our souls. Here's what G.K. Chesterton said, kind of a provocative but enlightening quote. Said any man who knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for God. It's God that humanity seeks, even in sexual desire, even as even as we displace it through counterfeits and abuse. This command is fulfilled to the purity of Jesus, the jealous love of our God. Um, now you need to apply this here, last few minutes. As we were reading the law earlier, um, you know, what does this law require? What does it forbid? Sometimes we can get, get fixated on the forbid part of this law, but we need to hear what is required. How do we live in obedience to this? Uh, when we were looking at the value of human life, I used three words that start with P, which we could use today as well. Purging, protecting, and praising. I'm going to change it up just slightly. Here's three phrases to help us apply this command. We'll use watch over. Work for and worship with. We're to watch over our hearts, work for purity, and worship with our bodies. It should be pretty clear by now that that the evil one has a bullseye on human sexuality in general and marriage in particular. If he can somehow divert our attention and entice our hearts away from the, the beauty and the glory of God's design into thinking that somehow we're doing no harm or we're just sort of taking care of ourselves through sexual fantasy, experiments, then he's got a strong foothold in our lives. We must commit ourselves to faithfulness in the heart. It means we're ruthless with with our thought lives, with our imaginations. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out, is the picture Jesus uses. This is why the world of pornography is so dangerous. Because it feeds infidelity of the heart. It sears the conscience against real, lasting intimacy. It's an instant counterfeit that isolates, destroys marriages from within, other relationships from the outside. You know, the closest data I could find or dared to find is that the porn industry, it's estimated around $14 billion annually right now with the internet, magazines, videos, other things which tells us Americans sacrifice more resources to this God of sexual experience than they do to any other form of entertainment. We must be watchful. Uh, I saw it again last, 
a couple weeks ago as we were driving up to Michigan along Highway 57, you see the big black board that says the Lion's Den, you know, adult store, this exit. And uh, immediately that picture comes into my mind from 1 Peter chapter 5. Maybe I've shared this before. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So to stop at the lion's den or to follow you know, the mouse or the screen, follow your imaginations. Um, I mean, it's just to, to step into the jaws of the adversary. So take that name, take that imagery, the lion's den and run. Run with your heart, run with your legs if you have to, to escape the lion who's ready to pounce. I think of what God says to Cain in Genesis 4, sin is crouching at the door. Ready to pounce. We must rule over it. So we're called to be watchful and at any age. 5, 25, 55, 85. We must run, for immor- run from immorality, the lusts of the flesh. They're screaming for freedom. And typically this is not something that happens overnight. Or we're suddenly you know, overcome with passion. We fall into idolatry or some other form of... of sexual impropriety. The heart is made ready over time. Intentionally, through, through thoughts, through imaginations, memories, pornography. Um, or it's made unintentionally ready through inappropriate exposure, secrecy. Uh, when you just think of how our hearts are seduced, it's very complex. It's very sophisticated. It can even go unnoticed. Even feel like it's normal when we're not watchful and running to the fountain of life, the purity that is Christ. So watching over our hearts, working for purity, they really go hand in hand. Um, I think uh, you know, for the church, broadly speaking, we haven't done a very good job over the years of talking about sexual purity, having those conversations. Uh, really the home is the primary context for our children to learn about sexual ethics healthy relationships modeled between mom and dad and uh, grandparents that has major implications for the development of males and females, our understanding of those roles of male and female all across society, which we know is in utter confusion right now about this. You know, those of you who are not married or have been married, they are watching you. How do you view the opposite sex? How do you behave around them? How do you talk about sexual intimacy? Is it the glorious gift of God? Bound for life, or is it somehow this dirty topic? Um, you know, we, we'll tell our teenagers, wait, you know, don't go there until um, you're married, and that is sound advice, but rarely is the joy of sexual intimacy talked about outside of this sort of blanket warning that we give to our families. It makes a big difference in the way in which our children are growing to think and the way in which we'll approach sexual sin when that does happen. Again, the reason sexual sin is so persistent is because we struggle alone. We do this in secret. Because there's, there's much fear and shame and so we try to hide it the best we can. We'll even live double lives if we have to. I think the, the culture within the church has enforced this um, because of how we've either failed to educate or treated those who have gone before us. Uh, so we need to work for purity. 
Now that starts right here. We must cultivate that a safe place, the life of God's people, safety in the gospel so that we can come alongside those trapped in sin. So that sin can be brought to light. We need to bring this, this broken sexuality under the cleansing blood of Christ. He's given us each other to help with that. I know enough about, enough about my own heart. I've heard enough stories. You, you cannot, you will not defeat sexual sin alone. You won't. We must be accountable to one or more uh, folks for our own sexual sanity to do battle with the lusts of the flesh. Now we're going to fail. We'll need to repent. But the glory of God in the gospel is that forgiveness is offered. Healing is possible and it comes through the purity of Jesus. We're working for purity in marriage. You know, we're operating with full disclosure between spouses. You know, no one knows you better than your spouse, so there should be no secrets between you and your spouse when it comes to your relationships or patterns of relationships with others in your life. Married couples are called to fidelity. Spouses should be cognizant of um, where, where uh, they are, who they're spending time with, and putting those uh, guards in place. Those who are not married or may one day be married, uh, called to chastity and to work for purity by guarding the heart and mind. means setting boundaries, expectations around dating and courtship. It also means being considerate of the way we dress. I mean, this is important for men and women. I'm thinking particularly of, of our women and young ladies. Um, you know, so you understand how men in general... But your brothers in Christ, I want you to think about here, your brothers, how they are stimulated, it, it, you can exploit yourself and other men and boys when you leave very little to the imagination in the way that you dress. Um, you have to work at this. Especially at the clothing store. They'll tell you this is what you need to wear to be accepted or to be cool or even to just be feminine. Right? Again, we're so much of it, we're walking by the den of the lion. Uh, you say, well, well Pat, can, I, can I dress attractively and wear what I'm comfortable with? Yes, yes, but we must consider its modesty. My wife shared a great quote with me a while back. I can't even give you its source. Um, but I thought it captures this well. Dear girls, dressing immodestly is like rolling around in manure. Yes, you'll get attention, but mostly from pigs. Signed, real men. Um, I thought that was good. Um, purity will not come naturally. Must work for it. In the power of the Spirit. Another area in which you need to uh, work for purity, either in the season before or after marriage, uh, when there's a strong desire to cohabitate. Um, no matter how well-intentioned that, that cohabitation might be, it's still without that foundation of promise. Accountability that's so essential within a society that knows so little of it. When I think about government officials who are taking office. You know, they're raising their right hands. They're promising to be accountable to the people as they go about their their responsibility. Do we think it any less important to 
You take the most significant, lifelong, selfless commitment between human beings and make that public. And be accountable for that. Must be grounded in those promises. Because when they're under strain, they will be under strain. Um, it will keep them from shaking apart. Former colleague of mine in uh, engineering world, and just getting to know him, and at one point he said that uh, you know, he was living with his girlfriend at the time, and we were in, in the office one day, and he said, "Well, you know, you got to, you got, uh, you got to see if you can live together. You got to see if it's going to work out." And I didn't say it at the time, but what I really wanted to say is, so what happens when it doesn't work? Because that time is bound to come. Without a commitment to faithfulness, what keeps you together when the rocks, uh, when you hit the rocks as a couple? Um, so watch over your heart. Work for purity in relationships. This will lead to worship of God with our bodies. Uh, some of you have made uh, wedding vows several years ago now, and you may have included that, that little tag, that little sentence at the end of the vow which said this, with my body I thee worship. Yeah, they used to say that in their wedding vows. It reminds us that with this passionate one flesh relationship comes a complete trust, commitment. I mean, what else could that really be other than worship? Union between husband and wife is a covenant renewal service. That love feast, it parallels our worship to the living Christ, our bridegroom. As we celebrate the grace of God, our union with Christ in the morning, just like we're doing right now, so husband and wife celebrate their love and commitment, faithfulness to one another. So it's a taste that God gives us in marriage to direct our lives and our longings heavenward. It can be easy to think as singles that we're, that we're missing out. That as these God-given desires are unfulfilled, that we're somehow less of what we should be. Or even that God is unjust. Be depriving us of this worship, of celebration. Um, it really pulls at us when we're not married. There's a temptation to even say, well, I'm going to try this. I'm going to experiment with this. Just so I know what it's like. I think sometimes we even know that it's wrong. But we think, you know, I'll, I'll repent later. And we enter into the lion's den. We must cling to our first love have a deeper satisfaction and joy in obedience to God than the fleeting pleasures of sin. So we cry out, God, this hurts. I want this. But you know better than what my flesh is demanding of me right now. The single person worships with his or her body in resisting temptation, fighting for purity, following those longings to the chamber of the bridegroom unashamed intimacy and knowledge of Christ. It's like, like a fast. The hunger and thirst for this selfless intimacy drives our hearts to God. His presence. So sexual intimacy designed by God. He knows how it works best. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. He will make your path straight. So I think as Christians, we are severely tested uh, in this area, this command. It takes a deeper love, a deeper commitment that only the Spirit of God uh, can work in us, that we would delight in God's greater design. Because the day is coming when marriage will be no more. 
no more sexual brokenness or opportunity to live in adulterous relationships um, because we're going to enjoy the unashamed, glorious intimacy and communion with our Savior. So let's not spend our days uh, in slavery to counterfeits. Uh, Let's live in the freedom of purity as God's people. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord God, we approach your throne robed in the perfect purity of the Lord Jesus. Lord, when you look at us who are bound to Him in faith, you don't accuse us or shame us for sin against the body is so prevalent. Lord, you see Christ in all of His righteousness and holiness and purity. And it's there that we run. It's to Him that we run for healing, for forgiveness. Lord, we thank You for this Word to us. And pray that You would help us by the power of Your Holy Spirit to run from the counterfeits that seek to enslave us. Fill us with a deeper love. A deeper love for our bridegroom. Oh, we long for that day of shameless nakedness, intimacy before you. Lord Jesus, come quickly. We pray in his name. Amen.